0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And your friend answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you ask and it will be given you, search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or, if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen.
1: So I really wish that uh, our gospel lesson had given us um, a formula and not a template. What I mean by a formula is you do a formula, if you know, if you do this, then you will get this. If you do this, then this thing will happen. And, um,. That's just not how the Lord's Prayer is set up in the Gospel of Luke. So there's the Gospel of Matthew, which is where we get our our version that we pray typically. But then there's another way that Luke talks about it here in chapter 11. And and what's fascinating is the very beginning. It says Jesus was in a certain place. You know, those of us that preach love when we can get a location or a place or a context. Because then you can start interpreting and, and, and thinking through the the, the historicity and the hermeneutic of the place. And, and this one doesn't give us that at all. (laughs) Where is a certain place? We know that before this passage is the story of Mary and Martha. And afterwards there's a story of a demoniac, but, um, where's a certain place? The other thing is that, um, it says that the, the disciples had talked about how John's Disciples had learned a prayer, and they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus gives us these kind of five lines. Not a whole lot to them, really. Interpret. I just, am I going, Mark? There I am. I'm back. Okay. There's a lot to interpret and think about. Some, some scholars think that the reason that this is set up this way is because Jesus talked about prayer a lot. In the Gospel of Luke, there's probably another at least eight passages. And then if you look in the book of Acts and we think the same author, authored both books, there's another six or seven times. Prayer is talked about a lot. It's something that Jesus did and participated in. And, and it stands to reason that maybe he talked about it a lot with his disciples. And so maybe rather than this being One prayer that happened at one point in a certain place in time. Maybe it was. Maybe this is a culmination, a a joining together of lots of times when Jesus talked about prayer. Maybe one of the things that we can take from this passage just from the beginning is that this passage is a culmination it's a joining together and that in it we see that prayer was central to the life of Christ. William Sloan Coffin said it this way, prayer, prayer is the interiorizing, the interiorizing of the incarnation. Part of what we see here in this passage is that to be like Christ, we interiorize the incarnate the living Christ in the world because prayer was a way of life for Jesus and part of our call is for prayer to be a way of life for us now we also have a template a prayer that we, that shows us a way to pray a, a way to think about prayer and a way to approach prayer but I want you to think about it in the big sense it's a big big idea not just a narrow focus I want to, we're going to talk about the passage, I'm, we're going to kind of look line by line because I think there's some really neat things to find out, but I want to take just a, a short excursus now and talk about the end of the passage. Uh, when I thought about this sermon, I thought about three introductions, and then we could do like a choose-your-own-story a little bit. <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to do that with all of you all out there because people would have different opinions, and, and then it might get confusing. But, but one of the things, ways that I thought about starting this sermon is to recognize some of the difficulties within the passage. And this is just gonna be a short excursus on this, but when I read the end of the passage about how, uh, if not just like a, a parent would give a kid a fish instead of a snake or an egg instead of a scorpion, I can't help but think of the times where parents actually give scorpions and snakes metaphorically. I couldn't think, help but think of the times where in my life when someone has said something to me or asked for something, I came back with a terse comment or a short reply. Yes, God calls us to be good as God is good and that is aspirational for each of us. But one of the difficulties with this passage sometimes is there are some of us in the room that when we hear the word parent, we don't get a good picture and that's okay. That's okay. And for each of us, we have an opportunity through the process of prayer to be those that which would give good gifts and love and compassion, even when it's hard for us to do that. Even when we want to respond maybe to people that we disagree with or that we quite frankly don't like. We want to respond in a way that is not the way God would call us to respond. And and that's part of our reminder here at the end of the passage. Father, hallowed be your name. One other small difficulty I think is that sometimes when folks hear the word Father, there are those of us in the room that that conjures up a vision of someone in our earthly father that quite, is quite difficult to see. Maybe we had a bad experience with our father, we had a bad relationship, or maybe that person brings up difficulties that are too deep to think about. I want to offer a reframing of that word, father. So for Jesus, as a Jewish man, the idea of father as God would have been twofold for him. One is Jesus. He would have known God the Father as Father. And then secondly, in Jewish prayer, the idea of using the word Father interchangeably with Holy God or Holy One was pretty common. And the second thing that Jesus does specifically in the Gospel of Luke, which is why it's important to think about this prayer as a template, is that he uses here an Aramaic word that I'm sure you've heard. He uses the word Abba for Father. I think, I think the reason Jesus uses the word Abba there is because the word Abba in Aramaic implies an intimacy. An intimacy with the person that says it and who they say it to that is outside and bigger than than relationship that we can think about. When Christ uses the word Abba here in this sentence, in this prayer, He is implying an intimacy and a love and an unconditional love that is bigger and greater than than we can imagine. And I know for some of us, using that word father is, is hard, and so we might use words like creator or loving God or maybe even mother, and that's okay. It's okay because when we say this, we think of this Aramaic word Abba and the intimacy with which God calls us into relationship. The intimacy with which God gives us in relationship. As we interiorize the incarnation, God is intimate with us and calls us to that kind of relationship. I love the phrase, your kingdom come, One writer said it this way, Christ waits for us daily to translate his teaching into action. Christ waits for us daily to translate his teaching into action. I'd like to submit that maybe prayer as a posture, prayer as a template, as a way of thinking about our lives, is one of the ways that we translate Christ's teaching into action Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come here and now. That kingdom is a kingdom that asks us to bring love and hope in our actions. To fight against injustice. To love those who are persecuted. To love our enemies. To stand up and say God is calling us here and now. To share Christ's love in the world. Daily, Christ calls us to translate his teaching into action. And what if, in the bringing of the kingdom and us being, you being, us being kingdom bearers in the world, that is the way that our actions, our actions call us and guide us through prayer. So there's a really interesting kind of, uh, the way the template works, there's five parts, and it's very fascinating. And, and there's these two kind of parts of adoration, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come, those two marks. And then there's three uh, petitions. Uh, Anne Lamont says that the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Luke goes this way. Uh, thank you, thank you. Help me, help me. Help me. I love that. If you can't remember anything else when you go to pray at some point, if you can say, thank you, thank you, help me, help me, help me. I think it may have been a little more accurate if she'd said, help us, help us, help us. If you see in the Gospel of Luke, uh, the, each word, is, it's a communal kind of prayer. Uh, Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive others. Do not bring us into the time of trial. It's a communal prayer. Help us Help us, help us. Another writer said that the three petitions are about food, forgiveness, and fidelity. I love that. Food, fidelity, and forgiveness. Food, forgiveness, and fidelity. If we are internalizing the incarnation so that we might translate Christ's teachings into action, prayer, this template, is what shapes us and guides us into this process day after day after day. I want to talk just a moment about daily bread, forgiveness, and a time of trial. This idea of daily bread, give us this day our daily bread. This idea of daily bread can be translated a couple of different ways. One of the ways that it can be translated is give us the bread for the morrow. I love that idea bread for the morrow, tomorrow, bread for tomorrow. It calls us to both be in the moment and to be forward thinking, to be present and to think about where God is calling us in the future. There's a couple of things about this idea of daily bread. It would have been about sustenance. It would have also been about reminding us of the sustenance of our neighbors. And our family this week, Annie and I have been talking about consumption. Uh, at night, when our kids go to bed, we usually talk about economics, philosophy, or theology. It is totally true. We're very <laughs> exciting in the evenings. Um, and this week, we talked about consumption. We talked about consumption because we're t- we, we started talking about it in the framework of uh, technology uh, with four kids and trying to figure out what technology means for our children today and for us, uh, you know, with my Apple Watch and my iPad, like, what does all this mean? But, but then we very quickly began to to change that conversation and talk about the fact that um, humans are metabolic entities. We need to consume to survive. So what does that mean for our economics and for uh, a society that that thrives on consumption? And that's a different conversation for a different sermon. But when I began to think about the Lord's prayer and consumption, I began to think about the table. And you all know, I mean, I've mentioned it recently when Rob and I preached together in Pentecost, this table uh, reshapes and has reformed how I think about life in the world. And I think that's part of Jesus's Intention and why this comes directly after the kingdom language within this prayer. Because what if, what if in the table Jesus redefines what consumption looks like for us? Yes, we need it for sustenance. But also, when we come to the table for our bread and our wine, we come to a table that is always getting longer and where there's enough for everyone. And maybe... Maybe part of that's about my needs and my wants and how I think about that. Maybe part of my prayer life and and taking these teachings into action is thinking about how my bread and what I need for the world and need to live interacts with what others need to live. And maybe this table redefines how we think about our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, Theologians think that the Gospel of Luke, and in this particular way the Lord's Prayer is presented, starts with forgive us our sins instead of forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses, because the idea of forgiving of sins is a leveling of the playing field. We are all separated from ourselves and from God through things that we have done or things that we have not done. And the prayer, forgive us our sins, reminds us that we are in need of forgiveness just as we are in need of forgiving. God forgives us just like God forgives our neighbors. And God calls us to forgive as God forgives. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. All are equal in front of God in the need of forgiving and being forgiven. I love this idea to think of the prayer as a template because it begins to reshape the posture of who we are and how we live our lives each day. This isn't a one-time prayer that we pray on Sunday mornings, but it is a way of living our lives each day to rethink how we are participating in bringing the kingdom here on earth. Forgive us our sins so that we may forgive each other and be forgiven by you, O God. And do not bring us into the time of trial. Now, there's a couple ways to think about this particular passage in time of trial. So you can think about it eschatologically. You can think of it as far as uh, a completion or a time of completion within the biblical story. And you can also think about the fact that each of us has experienced a time of trial. And part of the idea with thinking of this as fidelity is that we each need each other. Your story is important for my story. And my story is important for your story and your neighbor's story is important for your story and another neighbor and another neighbor and another neighbor. And together we face the time of trial. Again, this prayer is a template. It's a way of thinking about how we live our lives. In Rome, In Rome, in the early days, there were bells throughout the day. Six in the morning to start the day, at nine in the morning to remind you what time it was, at noon for lunch break, at three in the afternoon to another reminder of how much longer you had left in the day, and at six, they were called the daily office, the daily opus, the daily work. So early Christians began to catch on to this, and, and, and in the Judeo Christian world, and, and they would hear these bells, and during the, the times of the bells, they would begin to, to say prayers at those bells. And then someone made the observation there's a psalm that says, We will pray seven times daily to you, O God. And, and so someone added vespers in the evening, and then compline, which means before night, before we go to sleep, and added a compline before we go to sleep. And so these, what they called the The daily office or the divine office, the opus dei, the work of the divine, the divine hours, these hours that shape a rhythm and a pattern for how we live our lives. St. Benedict, when thinking about the divine hours, asked this question, is there anyone here who yearns for life And desires to see good days. Is there anyone here who yearns for life and desires to see good days? Oh, that this posture and rhythm would reshape how we see our work in the world. That we might translate the work of God, the teachings of Christ into action Jesus follows this story the gospel writer follows the story of Jesus and the prayer with a story of persistence a story of persistence someone comes in the night and they knock on the door we have a traveler and we need food and they knock and they knock and they knock and they knock and they come and they say my child is sleeping I can't get up I can't get food but they continue to knock and they knock and they knock I think one of the ways to think of the persistence of prayer is the persistence of it being how we shape our daily lives. I think that's why the divine hours, the opus dei, the divine work is so important to think about when we think about how we pray. It is moments in time, but it also is a reshaping of our lives. Prayerfulness, according to Coffin, is an all-pervading attitude an all pervading attitude of heart and mind which by any which makes any activity in our lives potentially become a prayer St. Benedict talked about the trellis. He talk, when he talked about the divine hours and the rule of life, he talked about a trellis. A trellis is something that we use to, and he, when he talked about it, he talked about beans. We talk about plants growing on a trellis. And a trellis doesn't cause the plants to grow, but it guides the plants as they grow. And I think that part of our prayer life is that it does not necessarily cause us to grow, although maybe it does, but it is that which guides us as we take action it shapes how we love one another and the world. It is a posture for how we live in communion with God and each other. Prayer is a template. Now, I don't want you to go home and be like, Luke preached this sermon on prayer. You must be so good at this. I'm so thankful. Um, this is hard. I think it would be much easier if we had uh, a formula rather than a template. If I do this, then this happens, and that's the way we go, yay, prayer. (laughs) But that has not been my experience. My experience is that prayer is at times difficult. Sometimes we hear clearly or think we do the voice of God, and at other times we feel distant. We've seen that in great leaders like Mother Teresa. However, I do think that when it becomes a posture and a way of life, when we think of the thank you, thank you, help us, help us, help us, When we look through the lens of food and forgiveness and fidelity, how do we eat and gather around this beautiful table together? How do we forgive and be forgiven? How do we see our stories intertwined with the stories of each other, knowing that there is a time of trial in life? How do we see The teachings of Christ translated into action in our lives. I think, I think that part of it is a posture of prayer. That's part of why this trellis idea or the the divine hours, the work of the divine is so important to me. Is that it reminds me that this is a constant process. We We don't finish We're not just done, but we're continually working. I wonder if we might just for a moment just pause. I want you to think just for a moment about your prayer life what it looks like, how you practice, how it's shaped. think just for a moment about how those prayers reshape your action. How are we loving our neighbors? How are we fighting injustice? How are we holding the hand of those that are hurting? How are we loving those that feel lost? How are we allowing others to love us? In our family, we talk a lot about small movements. Someone could come away, and even I've had at times come away from reading this passage and said, all right, I need to do these things. And I, and I think and I make a list and I'm like, and it's like a New Year's resolution. You get to Tuesday and it's done. But we talk about small actions, small clicks of the dial that reshape our lives over and over and over again. And I wonder what might be a small click of the dial for us this day a small click of the dial in your prayer life. So that, so that, as we hear the teachings of Christ, they may be translated into action. So that we may internalize the incarnation and that prayer might become part of the the fabric of who we are. Thank you, thank you. Help us. Help us. Help us. Amen.